Hi everyone, this is Nate Casey and this is the Trilogy Mentors podcast season two and we're into the summer of COVID series here. And today we do have a special guest. So I'm gonna turn it over to my co-host Erica who's gonna introduce our guest. Hey everyone, how's everyone doing? Um, today we are here with Dave Hassel, one of my old friends but now the founder of 15.5 and CEO and founder of 15.5. So Dave, can you tell us a little bit more about 15.5 in general? Yeah. Great to be here with you guys, so thank you. 15.5, we're, we're an employee engagement and performance management platform. Our, our big mission is to really help companies create highly engaged, high-performing organizations by helping people become their best selves. So we have a, a real big focus on unlocking potential and looking at the positive psychology and social science research about you know how do you actually create organizations where people are supported in understanding what their strengths are, building psychological safety, having intrinsic motivation, uh, and creating organizations that really thrive by supporting their people and thriving. And we built a whole tool set for managers who want to manage inside of that methodology. David, can you tell us a little bit of the sort of the seed of the idea, the origin, you know, where it kind of, where you realized this was sort of the direction that you wanted to head? Yeah, I think, it, you know, it's pretty intricately tied to my own journey and my own growth and development and my entrepreneur, entrepreneurial journey. I, I graduated college with, with Erica uh, back in 1998 in, at Tufts University. I was a computer engineer, went to work for a big consulting company, and, you know, I kind of had the antithesis of the experience we're now building for companies. It was, you know, interesting work, but I didn't feel any sort of connection to purpose or to the company and the culture. And, and I think that experience propelled me into entrepreneurship, even probably prematurely. So I went off as a 23-year-old kid in 1999, and I started an ad tech company in New York City with a partner. And really, my motivation at that age was, you know, I wanted to go build something, chart my own course, and maybe make a lot of money on the way. Not all of that happened. I found myself, you know, seven years in, pretty burned out and not really fulfilled by the work we were doing. But the, the, you know, kind of the hint of what I'm doing at 15.5 now, I did discover that time during that time because we didn't have a lot of resources and money to hire the best talent. But I would find I'd have this knack of finding people who maybe they didn't go to the best school. They they uh, maybe had a gap in their resume or my now co-founder who I hired at that company needed an H1B visa to be in the country from the Ukraine. And I would see a spark of, of potential in these folks and give them an opportunity to learn and grow and develop. And that's where I got my fulfillment as a, as a business owner. I got burned out from that. I went off and started an adventure travel company in Brazil for kite surfers. I uh, did that for a few years, which was kind of a fun chapter in my life. And now I like to joke that, you know, my first business, I was chasing the money, but there was no passion. My second business, it was all the passion, but there was no money. And I finally woke up at 30 some odd years old and said, I really need both of those things. And when I started to think about what am I going to build next? And if I'm going to have any modicum of success, I'm going to be at this for a decade or more. I wanted to wake up every day and feel a personal sense of fulfillment and, and really feel like I was making a difference in the world. And I'd met this guy named Simon Sinek, uh, who's now had a very famous TED Talk, if you haven't seen it, yeah. and a great book, Start With Why. And I met him a couple of years before that now famous TED Talk. We became friends. I was really inspired by his message. And, and that idea that you can combine purpose with profit, that you can you can build an organization that the goal isn't just to make money, but it's actually to make an impact in the world. Uh, and that idea of having a strong why, I think, created the context inside of which I was saying, well, what do I want to do? And I've been around a lot of entrepreneurs. I had certainly 
seeing the challenges they had getting their visions into the world and into reality and needing to create great cultures and great teams to do that. And then I also recognized that, you know, as an employee, I ran off to be an entrepreneur because I felt like it was the only way I could have that sense of, you know, connection and meaning. And I said, well, where does that leave everybody else? Why can't we create cultures where everybody feels intrinsically motivated and on purpose and, yeah. and whatnot? Because we're not all cut out to start businesses. And so that was, that's, that's kind of how I got to the idea of building a company around this. And that really leads well into my next question, which is, as you can imagine, our audience, the folks that license our platform at Trilogy, they tend to be highly motivated by being educators and they want to build a business with purpose around helping students. But the, the, the part that they're typically missing is the, the business acumen, the, the yes. ability to kind of tie the other side together with it. They can say, well, I can see this mission and I feel, I feel the enthusiasm for this mission, but I have no idea how to, to, to actually execute. I'm curious how you think about, you know, building teams and making sure you have the right people around you to kind of go through that process and maybe a little bit about your, you know, getting into understanding how you're going to take something you're passionate about and actually turn yeah. it into something profitable. Yeah, I went through that same journey myself in my in my 20s. Um, there was a book I came across that really brought forth the challenge and the concept. I don't necessarily, I mean, the book is okay. It's maybe not the, you know, kind of the most cutting edge stuff today, but it was called The E-Myth. Mm -hmm. And the idea inside E-Myth was that a lot of people go into business because they're really good at this thing and they're passionate about this thing. But then building a business around that is a completely different skill set. Uh, the entrepreneur, you know, and so in, in a lot of people get into this thing and say, well, this isn't really what I wanted. This is really hard and I'm not actually getting to, to do the things I love. You know, the what, so, so I think it's important to realize that those business skills are really important and um, you probably need to over index in that in that area if you're not if you're not there today. And I think about there's kind of two key skill sets that I think are really, really critical. One is the the business structure and the management. So how do you think about operating on, uh, on a variety of different horizons of time and building the business from, you know, your 10-year vision and your, you know, your big, big goals down to what are you doing this quarter, this month, and, and today and next week? And, and how do you align the whole company around that? And there's two really, really great books, actually three great books, uh, two from one author, one from another, that basically give you a great uh, a drop-in business structure that you can execute on. One is called Traction by Gino Wickman. Uh, he has this thing called the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS. The other is a, by a guy named Vern Harnish. His first book was called Rockefeller Habits, which is what I studied in my 20s. And then the next is his more recent book is called Scaling Up, which is kind of a new version of that. So you could pick either one of those two. I recommend getting those books and just reading through it because it'll give you the sense of how do you create the right structure and rhythms of communication and all those things. So that's kind of skill set number one is figuring out that business management structure as an entrepreneur, what's going to work. Uh, and, you know, you don't want to reinvent the wheel. There's a lot of people who've done this, so you can very quickly learn the practices and put them into place. The other thing I, I think that entrepreneurs start too late doing is focusing on the, on the culture. I don't think you can start designing your culture too early. A lot of people get into building the business. Next thing they know, they're 10, 20, 50 people, and they haven't given it any thought. The time to architect it really is around that somewhere that three to five people. You really want to get clear on clarifying what your your mission, what your why is, your your mission and your vision, what your core values are. How are you actually going to live the core values? And then how are you going to find people who not just great people who have the skill sets you you want 
and then try to get them to live the core values. But you want to look at, for people who, ha- who embody those values first and foremost already and who are authentically inspired by what you're doing in the world and then bring them into the fold. So they really become a filtering, mes- uh, filtering mechanism for who you bring into the company. And then you have to create all sorts of cultural practices to, to have those things be alive and make sure they don't just end up on a, you know, on a Word doc that you never look at or on the wall and you're not actually living them or breathing them. Um, just yeah, my next question for you is kind of diving into logistics, given that there's so many companies, especially our tutoring companies, transitioning to the online workspace. So how would you compare physically working in an office with your team to working with them online? I mean, there's definitely challenges. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm in a, a peer group of high growth software CEOs that I just met with this week. And there was a consistent theme because everyone's gone remote. What we've recently heard, you know, from this group, basically about maybe only 10% are keeping their office leases right now. They have a lease expiring, they're letting it go. Many of them are downsizing and saying, we're going to have some sort of hybrid work from home model going forward. Maybe we have a meeting space. So, so this COVID situation has accelerated a trend of more distributed work. So we're all working out of our home offices. And I think that's going to be more of the norm in the future. At the same time, uh, a lot of these CEOs are reporting that their culture, like culturally, that you know people were maybe a little more short with each other. There's more harsher communication. There's more miscommunication. And what's missing is that social connection, that feeling of a bondedness that we naturally get when we're in an office together. The thing is, we're, we're social beings. We're, we're social animals. And uh, you know, when you have a co-located office, that sociability and some of those cultural elements just take care of themselves. And, you know, it's not natural for us to be also so separated. So I think one of the most important things that teams need to realize is they need to over-engineer for that sociability because it's not going to happen by default. Sure, you're not going to get the spontaneous connections because, you know, everything's so scheduled. We're on this podcast for right now and I have a block of time that we're scheduled for this and then there's something else. A couple of things that I highly recommend are using video as much as possible, but not to the point where, I mean, a lot of people have the Zoom fatigue. So, you know, finding the balance, but, but making sure you have that time to actually connect over video, I think is really critical. I think also some of our teams like to just get in a Zoom room and hang out for two or three hours while they co-work. And that's a really great way to have that experience. You can all be on mute and then be like, oh, hey, you know, Erica, what do you think about this thing? And then we're like, you know, it feels like we're hanging out together. And the other really great thing we do at 15.5, we've done this since we were five people, is every Friday, and now we're about 200, every Friday we meet on a Zoom room at 9 a.m. Pacific, and we've got people from, you know, the Ukraine all the way to San Francisco, and we do something called Question Friday, where every month a different 15-5 employee gets to ask questions every Friday morning of the entire group. We go into breakout groups, and we just answer very personal questions to learn about each other, hmm. things that you would, you know, you would probably get into this dialogue. I mean, there's, sometimes they're they're funny, they're, you know, what's the biggest challenge you've overcome in your life that, you know, has made you who you are to, you know, what kind of posters did you have in your room when you were 14 years old? It could be any range of things, but we get to like really learn about who we are and not just the people we work with day to day, but across, like, it's so cool. I get, I get to be in with people from the engineering team and the product team and the salespeople and et cetera. And we, and we just get to bond a little bit and just be human with each other. And so we just, I feel like teams need more of that to build that sense of connection and trust. Right. Yeah, we just, we just had our uh, first virtual lunch the other day, which was nice. And that's exactly what we're trying to, because we, the same thing you were saying, we were missing that social component. 
and yeah. someone has suggested it. So yeah, no, I totally agree. That's, a, that's cool. great. Yeah, yeah, it's also interesting, you know, I feel like, you know, I've got probably what, four or five direct reports right now who, you know, they're in their, in their early 20s, mid 20s. And there's a very specific kind of counterpoint that they need to feel connected and, you know, taking them out of physical space, you can, you can, you can feel that ebb and flow of the energy. And it's kind of like being really conscious of where the needs are around that energy and giving them the space to have it. It's, you know, I'm, I'm almost 47. So I think we're in the same sort of age group where I, I, I think we grew up in a different time where we don't. I don't know, we don't need as much of that sort of dynamic all over the place kind of to keep us going. And and you forget like across the board that there are folks that <laughs> they're kind of, they, they have to have that to feel that connection that's important for them. Yeah, it's, it's so true. And, you know, and then there's different people who have different levels of sociability, whether right. they're very extroverted or introverted. Yeah, I think, you know, for some of the introverts, this is like a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. Right. So, so the next thing I wanted to kind of dive into, and I, you know, I was kind of doing my research on fifteen five, and you guys were describing your ongoing assessments, and it sounded really similar to what's prescribed for students in the classroom. Um, yes. You said like you know to inform your managers and implement you know adjustments as needed. I'm just curious about your measures of effectiveness that you're using. Well, what's interesting is that you know I assume you know kind of in the education world you're. You know, we've always had grades, right? You, you get you get grades for everything you do, and I think uh, a lot of historical performance management has also focused on giving people a score or a grade or a number. And what the studies have actually shown is that that is a, a major detriment to uh, psychological safety, which is very important for. And, and there's all sorts of biases in, involved, and so the, the numerical grading system is 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 kind of losing favor. Um, uh, of other types of assessments. And so inside of 15.5, we, we focus our review process, which is a, you know, our replacement for a traditional performance review. Uh, we call it the best self review. And so we wanted to recontextualize it for the employee's benefit, that this, this review is to, is to give you feedback on your journey of going to be and become your best self. Uh, there is an assessment component of it, but a lot of it is also focused on not just looking at what you've done, but, you know, where you are now, what obje- learning and growth objectives you want to take forward into the future, as much forward-looking as backward-looking. And then what we have is we have a private manager assessment that's done without grading the person. We, we ask certain questions, and they're modeled after something the, the, the uh, team at Deloitte uh, came out with. There's a great article in Harvard Business Review titled Reinventing Performance Management. It's about four years old. Uh, and this question's like, you know, if it were up to you, would you give this person, you know, if it was your money, would you give this person their full bonus? How would you feel if they were leave, uh, if they were to leave today from I'd be distressed to I'd be relieved on a, you know, and there's five, five choices. So you're kind of like intuiting how, how important is this person to this manager without saying, you know, is this person a four or a five? Yeah. yeah and, and like you said, the, the numbers are subjective a lot of times and less objective. So that, I mean, that's a big thing of of what um, the teams that we're working with, the tutoring companies are struggling with, like building out their teams. So, you know, we have a lot of customers and this kind of goes back to what you said earlier. We have a lot of customers that are looking to expand their teams. I'd love to hear more about like your approach for training new employees and are like building, building on existing employee skill sets. 
Yeah, I, I think the ongoing training piece is, is really important. I mean, some companies, it, it, it depends on the role and it depends on the company. I, I know that there are uh, a number of organizations that will even spend like a whole week of orientation where they'll go through. I was just, I, we just had, we were on a podcast as well, the Best Self-Management Podcast, and we had on um, the chief culture officer at a, con- a construction software company that has scaled tremendously just in the last 10 years. They've gone from, you know, 20 to 2,000 employees or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, he was explaining that because they're in the construction industry, uh, and they build software for that, most people don't even know about that industry when they come on board. So they have to spend days like teaching and training people about the, you know, their culture and values, then the industry, and then the specific role duties. And so that's an example of a situation where, you know, you might need more training in some situations. It might be lighter. It might be very self-service. So for, for our engineering team, for example, we have like, you know, we have a very clearly defined self-guided onboarding process. We use something called sapling, which allows you to have an onboarding process and people go through it and they, you know, figure out where all the different tech, you know, uh, code-based resources are and things like that. So I, I think it really depends on, 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 on what's important to you as a leader and what you're needing, uh, and then it can vary. I mean, you want to do, you, you don't want to do any less than is necessary, but you also don't want to overwhelm people and, and have a lot of burden as a, as a leader to do that. So, but I do think it's, it's important to like get people very oriented around what's the culture about, what do we stand for? Uh, we actually go through a process with new employees where we set out a set of mutual agreements and we say, this is what we commit as the company to be and do for you as the employee. And these are the commitments we expect you to make as an employee of 155. Uh, Yeah, it's so fascinating because... I'm sorry, Erica. I was just going to say that it's important to kind of, you know, set as much context and agreement at the outset, I think. Well, it's, it's fascinating, the overlap, because, you know, we you know, we position ourselves as an education company that builds technology, you know, and uh-huh. as a company like yours, right, you, you want to set some, you want to set the standard, <laughs> you know, for right. your own HR as being sort of leaders in that space. Yeah. It's kind of in a fascinating position to be in. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I guess, uh, so this is our final question. I, uh, honestly, we could probably talk for hours and I know I want to be conscious of your time and the last question is really about 2020, right? It's been just a, it's just a fascinating year. For us, it's been such a gauntlet to run. It's both such an ambiguous time, but it's also a time of incredible growth for our sector as being an ed tech. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. So it's, 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 and it, it also is a little bit daunting just because it, it feels like such an incredible opportunity that you're so scared you're gonna i mean we're kind of in this state of nervousness that we're really gonna screw this up because it's it's like being on the precipice really you know in a lot of ways i'm curious like you know looking back on 2020 so far considering all the macroeconomic factors you know are there things that you would have done differently if you kind of knew what you know now you know through these sort of lessons of of the craziness well, you know, one of the things, I mean, we've been on a, we've been on a very fast trajectory this last few years. We grew from, in January of 2018, I think we were 30 people. A year later, later we were 70. A year later, we were 200. So we've grown quite a bit in, in, in just those two years. And we had staffed up for a very big growth year. And then, of course, COVID came along and, you know, that changed some things. And so, you know, if I had foresight, maybe we would have taken things a little bit slower. And, but... But I, I don't think there's anything, 
It is. Let me first start out by saying that it has been a, a, uh, certainly a challenging time to be a leader with so many different things happening. Like how do you guide you know 200 people through a crisis uh, where many of them are afraid about the economy and is the company going to be okay? Is their job going to be okay? Their family and health and you know so it, it's it's not just all the business things we need to do, but there's. You know, certainly we're all feeling more fear or stress if we have kids at home. You know, that adds to it. So, you know, it, it, it has been nonstop for me since early March, uh, as it has been for, for many leaders. And I, I'm not sure I would necessarily even change anything that we did. I think that I'm, I'm proud of the way that my leadership team moved through the last quarter. The fact that we, you know, we had, we had a couple of down months, but we still had an up quarter, which was really uh, remarkable. And... Uh, yeah, I don't think there's anything I would necessarily change, but I do have an enormous amount of empathy for for everybody in the situation. You know, awesome. other leaders who've been through that, employees and what they're dealing with and their own personal challenges of being at home, not used to working from home, families, health, et cetera. That's awesome. Yeah, well, thank you so much, uh, you know, for your time today. It's been incredibly insightful. Some of the books you've mentioned I've read, some of them I haven't, so I'm definitely going to check those out. And we'll make sure to our audience has access to any of the resources that David's brought up today. But I want to thank you so much for your time and your insights. Uh, Erica, do you have any final comments? Just a thank you. And, and it's really been great to see you today. And you hope we won't take this long to connect again. Yes.